0: we doing tonight? Great, super. Are you guys awake? No? Wow. Who said I am? Lane, I believe you are. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to keep going in James. And the reason I love this book, and I told you guys this when we started, is because James gives us specifics on how to live out our faith. In fact, that's exactly what he's talking about tonight. He's talking about the word faith. In James chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles or you got the Bible on your phone or your Kindle or whatever you're using, open it up to James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, because that's where we're going to be tonight. We're talking about faith. Right before we jump into that though, I want to I want to make sure we understand something. Because I've heard people make the argument that when you read what Paul says about faith, Paul the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, when you read what he says about faith and then you read what James says about faith, it looks like they contradict each other. Let me, let me give you an example here. Here's what Paul wrote. For instance, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, our justification, our standing before God, comes only through faith in God. The only way we can have a relationship with God is having a faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, for your sins, and that he rose from the grave, and he gives us forgiveness of those sins through that act. That's what Paul's talking about here. And he says it again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. He says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And see, Paul's hitting the same thing over and over. He's saying, guys, we are justified. We have a right standing before God because of our faith. It's our faith. It's our belief. It's our understanding of who he is that gives us that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He even talks about it again in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He's making it very clear here that you and I, if we have a relationship with God, if we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that's because God gave us that grace. That's because God gave us the ability to have faith in Him, to trust in Him. That there is absolutely nothing, nothing we can do to earn that grace. It is saying that we let go of the things that we would live for and we cling with everything we have to the cross of Jesus Christ, knowing what he did for us. That's what Paul's telling us. Because if it was based on something we could do, then we'd have a right to brag, right? Our salvation, our faith in God would not be about God anymore. It would be about us. It'd be about how much I read my Bible or how much I sing to God or how many good things I do for people. It would be all about me. It would be all about you and it wouldn't be about God at all. That's why Paul makes that statement there that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Faith is, our ability to have faith is given to us by God. He calls us to him. If you're in here and, and, and there was a time in your life where, where you told God, you said, okay, God, I'm a sinner. I know I need your forgiveness. I know your son died for me on the cross, and I know he rose and he paid the penalty for my sin, and I want to live for you. You're able to come to that realization because of the grace of God. You're able to have that faith in Christ and in God because God allows us to do that. God wants us to do that because we're all born with sin, right? It's part of us. Believe it or not, you're born with sin. It's woven into the very fabric of who you are. You cannot get it off of you, get it out of you. Every single one of us is born that way. And it's only through what Christ did on the cross and what Christ did three days later that we're going to celebrate here on Sunday that we can have a relationship with God, that anything can be done about that sin. Therefore, Paul's right. Faith, salvation, is a gift from God, and there's absolutely nothing you or I can do to earn it. In fact, the writer of Hebrews gives us a definition of faith. Here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's hope and it's conviction. It's hope in Jesus Christ. It's hope that he actually died for us. It's hope that he's going to come back like he's promised us he's going to come back. And that's what's written in scripture. So it's not only a hope, it's a truth for us because we know it to be true if it's in God's word. We talked about that a couple months ago, that that is inerrant, infallible, fact, God-breathed. There's nothing but truth in this book. And it tells us that we can have hope in Jesus Christ because of what he's done. But we also have conviction is what he talks about there. Conviction that God is who he said he is. Conviction that Jesus Christ did what he said he was going to do. Conviction. Now, some people will tell you, well, no, that's not conviction. That's, you're talking about guilt. No, I'm not talking about guilt. Conviction and guilt are two different things. Guilt. You all have felt guilty. i felt guilty. Guilt is when you're sorry for getting caught for doing something. Conviction is when you're actually sorry for what you did, not because you got caught. Now, this is saying we have conviction. There's actual conviction of the Holy Spirit. We know that we are sinners. We know that we can't change it. It's conviction in our lives that God has promised His Son died for us. It's conviction in our lives that no matter what we come up against, that no matter what we face in life, this is where we're going to base our truth. Right here in God's word. It is hope of things, excuse me, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Nobody in this room, I'm willing to bet, I could be wrong, has ever actually physically seen Jesus Christ with the scars in his hands, with the cut in his side, with the holes in his feet. Am I wrong? And yet a lot of you in this room have said, I have hope and I have conviction that that happened. That I have a relationship with God because Jesus Christ did that. That's what he's talking about with faith here. And it's all because of what Jesus did. But you see, when you read what James says about faith, there might be a little confusion if you don't understand exactly what James is saying. James talks about tonight, what well, we're going to look at, what your thing there says, is three faiths. There are three different kinds of faiths that James talks about in this passage tonight in chapter two, starting in verse 14. And the first one is a dead faith. And as I go through these, I'll tell you all three, it's a dead faith, it's a dumb faith, and it's a dynamic faith. But as we go through these tonight, I want you to be asking this question in the back of your mind. Which one of those three do I have? Which one of those three describes my walk with Christ? describes my relationship with God on a daily basis. So the first one is a dead faith. And we'll just start off in James chapter 2, verse 14. A dead faith, this is a head response, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. This is a head response. That means you acknowledge, okay, God is God. Jesus is Jesus. He died on the cross. That's a head response. Let's see what James says about it, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers... You see where the confusion may start coming in between Paul and James. Paul is saying that faith, 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 that is the only thing that saves you. It's faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ. But now James is talking about faith in works. James is talking about, okay, you got to have faith. But if you have faith and you don't have the good deeds, if you don't have the works, then that faith is dead. But see, they're not contradicting each other. Because James is making the same point. He's saying that our faith is only from God, but our faith should lead us to action. Our faith in God, our faith in what Jesus Christ did to us, the Holy Spirit working in our lives, should lead us to doing something, to living out that faith, not just assenting with a head knowledge like he talks about here. It's pretty easy to tell when something's dead, isn't it? Maybe it gets still, it starts to get cold, it starts to stink. Yeah, it's pretty simple. There was a time, the, the farm that I worked on in the summer when I was in high school, there was a dog that lived on this farm. This dog's name was Rowdy. It was a cool, cool old hound dog, I mean, old hunting dog, but it was, he was getting near the end of his life. And one day when we were up at the barns, we walk over because Rowdy's messing with something, and Rowdy has got a three and a half foot rattlesnake in his mouth. And he's just going to town. I mean, just like dogs do. You got a dog. He's just got his mouth, and he's shaking his head, and it's flinging everywhere. So we assume that this snake is dead. So Rowdy drops the, de- drops the snake, and we walk over with a shovel because it's a rattlesnake. I'm not picking it up with my hands because it's a rattlesnake. I'm not picking it up with my hands. <laughs> you're a whole other beast there, Hunter. We're not going there. So we pick it up with a shovel. And right as my buddy and I go to touch this rattlesnake, the snake starts moving and starts flailing its head again. Now, you can imagine at this point, we have dropped the shovel, and we are all about 30 yards in the other direction before we turn around and see what's going on. And what we didn't know is my buddy's standing next to me. We're holding the shovel out in front of us. Rowdy had come up in between us, and Rowdy had grabbed the tail of that snake And right when we went to touch it, he started flinging his head again. And it scared us to death because we thought that snake was still alive. But when we turned around and looked, Rowdy drops the snake and he starts chewing on it. And we walk back over there and sure enough, the snake's head's gone. The snake is dead. You see, for a few minutes there, for a few seconds, we thought that snake was alive. But when we got to it, when we actually looked at it and saw what was going on, it was unbelievably clear if it was dead. That's what James is talking about. He says when we have a dead faith, when we have this head knowledge, this, this intellectual consent that God is God, it may look alive for a while. Our faith, we may be able to fool people. We can come to church. We can sit through the sermon. We might stand up and, and mouth a couple of the words to the song if we even open our mouth. But the reality is, that's where it stops. Our faith stops right there. And you've seen people, maybe some of you have been these people on Sunday morning. You sit in church, or you've watched them sit in church, and they do this. Or they do this, and they start nodding off. And when they're singing, when all the singing's going on, they look just like this. They got their mouth closed, looking around. Some of y'all do that in here. I've seen you. You do it, I mean, in here on Wednesday night. I've seen you. That's what James is talking about. He's saying that when you have a dead faith, when you have this knowledge, this intellectual consent that God is God, Jesus is who he said he is, that's a good start, but that's not where God wants us to live. That's not his intention. That's not his plan for us. When we claim to have a faith in Christ, if that faith is going to be alive, that faith actually does something in our life. And there's actually three real clear indicators, three real clear markers. I didn't put this on your sheet, but I'm going to tell you anyway, of what a dead faith looks like. And the first one is this, a dead faith is accompanied with an empty confession. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's telling us that at the moment you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, at that moment the Holy Spirit enters your life, at that moment there is a change. There is a change in who you are. Yeah, you may still have some of the habits. It may take a while for, for God to change some things about your personality that don't reflect who he is. But it says you are a new creation. But somebody that's, have a, that's got a dead faith, there's no change in their life. And you've probably known people like that. They'll come to church or they'll come to youth group and they'll go down front and they'll say they made a decision and then the very next week they're back out doing everything they've ever done before, living life exactly the way they did before. No different. It's an empty confession. It doesn't mean anything because the change that that passage tells us will be there isn't there. That's one way you can recognize a dead faith. Another way you can do it is a lack of compassion. I can say that because we see it in Jesus Christ's life all over the place. In Mark chapter 6 verse 34 it says when he went ashore he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. When you read about Jesus Christ and you people don't move you The love that you say you have for God, the love that we all claim for God, it tells us in scripture, we're supposed to love God and love others. If we don't love others, then we've got a lack of compassion. Our faith is dead. If we're not moved to do something by what others need, then we've got a problem. And the last one is lack of conviction. A dead faith is marked by a lack of conviction. It says in John 14, 15, if you love me, You will keep my commandments. Pretty simple, right? Honor your father and mother. You heard that one before? How about confess me before men and I will confess you before my father? Go into all the world baptizing and making disciples. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I will honor Christ with my body. These are God's commandments. It says that if we love God, we will keep His commandments, right? A sign of a dead faith is somebody that knows the commandments, has heard the commandments, can tell you what God has asked us to do with our lives to honor Him, but there's no conviction to actually do it. These are the people that will sit in church and you'll say, Who was the Son of God? Jesus. Who died on the cross and rose for our sins? Jesus. Who lives in a tree and collects acorns? Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. These are people that know the answers. They've heard it. They can recite it to you. They can tell you memory verses. They know the words to the songs, but it stops here. It's a dead faith. It's a head response. And James is telling us that's not what God wants for our life. He's got so much more in store for us. Then he talks about the second faith, a dumb faith. This is a head response and a heart response. This is where you go, okay, God, I know you are God. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. God, I feel your presence. I feel it. I know what you want me to do. He talks about it starting in verse 18. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, he makes that statement there. You believe that God is one, you do well. We can tell that he's writing this to Jewish believers because that's part of something called the Shema. That's daily prayers that that Jewish people pray. That's actually from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. That's part of some daily prayers that they prayed. So he's using that to help them understand he knows exactly what he's talking about. He knows where they're coming from. He's saying, You believe it. That is wonderful. That is amazing. Guess what? So do the demons. And they have a response to it too they're afraid, they shudder, they have an emotional response to who God is. But there's a difference between believing God is who he said he is and believing in God. And that's the difference in the demons here. They believe God is who he said he is. They know that he created everything. They know that he is Lord of this universe, but they don't believe in God. James is telling us, okay, there's a difference here. You can believe who God is. You can know who he is. You can feel his presence in your life. But it's still got to go farther than that. You see, this dumb faith, we we can go, we can go to the, I mean, who, who was it came here not too long ago? Casting Crowns? We can go to the most incredible Christian concert. We can go to Passion up in Atlanta. We can go see Hillsong. We can see Matt Papa at Leadership Rocks. We can go to the most incredible, incredible christian concert ever and feel god's presence or we can stand right here in this room and feel his presence and know that god is speaking to us to the point that maybe we even break down in tears because we feel it so strongly And we'll come back and we'll tell everybody what a great experience it was and how awesome it was and how God spoke to me and God told me I needed to do this. And then once we're done telling everybody, we never do anything with it. We have the head response. We know who he is. We have the heart response. We experience him. We feel that burning passion, that fire to do what God's called us to do. But if we stop there with that feeling, it's a dumb faith. It's not what God wants for us. It's not where God wants us to camp out. In this room right now, if a fire broke out, I could stand right here and tell you, I need to get up, I need to go over to that wall, just to the left of the second double door, grab the handle on that fire station, pull it down, and that'll turn the sprinklers on and every one of you needs to get up and walk out of the room. But if a fire broke out and all I did was stand here, kind of dumb, right? It's exactly what James is talking about. We can know it. We can feel it. But if we don't do anything with it, it's a dumb faith. It doesn't mean anything because it's not what God's called us to. It's not what James is reminding us of. That's why I love the fact that he talks about the last faith here. It's a dynamic faith. It is a head response. It is a heart response. It is a hand's response. It means we do something. We know who God is. We feel his presence and what he's calling us to do. And then we actually get up and go do it. He talks about it starting in verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead. Here's where a lot of confusion comes in between Paul and James. Paul, if you you read Paul, it's just about, we're saved by grace through faith. It's only God. It's only Christ. There's nothing we can do. And when you read this part of James, it looks like he's saying, okay, Abraham and Rahab, these, these folks from the Old Testament, they were justified by their faith and by their works. Now what he's saying is, They were justified by their faith, and that faith was shown by their works. Justification only comes through Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. That's it. That is the only way. That's why Jesus Christ said, no one comes to the Father except through me, because that's it. James is reminding us that once we do that, there's another step. That once we say we believe in Christ, we actually have to do something with that faith that we have. And he gives us some great examples here. He starts with Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. In Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 22, we see Abraham, and Abraham is called by God. He is told by God to take his son up to the top of a mountain and to sacrifice his own son, to kill his own son. And Abraham goes... And he takes his only son. God has promised Abraham he is going to be the father of the Jewish nation. He is going to have more children than the number of stars. And God is telling him to kill his only son. Now, I don't know if you know how families work. It's kind of impossible to have that many offspring if your only son's dead. You're kind of, the family dies right there. You're done. But Abraham, he obeys God. And he takes his son up, and he ties his son up, and he raises the knife to sacrifice his son. And God stops him and says, no, you've been faithful. And he provides another sacrifice. He provides an animal over in the bushes, and they take that animal, and they sacrifice to God. You see, Abraham was willing to do whatever God called him to do because he had faith that God would keep his promise that's what James is reminding us of. Rahab, anybody here know anything about Rahab? She was a prostitute, lived in the city of Jericho. She's the one that when the spies came into the city of Jericho, she hid them, she saved their lives, she let them out of a window. And she was saved because of it. In fact, if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, when you're looking at the lineage, of Jesus, guess who's in that lineage? Rahab. A non-Jewish prostitute was the great-great-grandmother of King David. God rewarded her faith through her actions. That's what James is showing us here. Not that we'll necessarily be rewarded because of our actions, but if we have faith in God, if we believe in Jesus Christ, our faith will lead us to action. That's what he's talking about with a dynamic faith here, a faith that is alive. Go with this whole 3D thing. You're looking at a piece of paper. It's just a picture. You can't do anything with it other than look at it. A 2D picture, you just got something with two sides. You really still can't do anything with that, but when something's 3D, it's there. I I loved it. My son, Jared, we got the Polar Express in 3D a couple years ago. First of all, unless you have a 3D TV, it does not work. It's horrible. Even with the glasses they give you. But it was funny because Jared put on the 3D glasses and he started walking around the house going, Dad, everything's in 3D. Look, my hand's in 3D. Son, it's always in 3D. No, Dad, with the glasses, it's in 3D. You see, with those glasses... All of a sudden, it became alive to him. Had it really changed from before? No. But because he looked at it with a different perspective, because he looked at it through a different lens, all of a sudden, it was exciting. It was new. It was cool. And it took us about 15 minutes to convince him that everything is normally in 3D. It's just not red and blue without the glasses. That's what God's calling us to. That's what James is talking about. When we've got a dynamic faith, when it's a head, a heart, and a hand's response, it's exciting. It's something to get excited about because we start to see God work. We start to see him work in our life. We start to see him work in the lives of other people as he uses us to minister to them, to meet their needs. That's why it's dynamic. It's incredible. It's unbelievable that we get to be a part of what God wants to do in this world. And he's calling every one of us to be a part of that. And the easy way to see a dynamic faith, to spot a dynamic faith, goes back to the verses that we already used when we were talking about a dead faith. You see a true confession, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Someone who has a dynamic faith, their life is changed. They are not the person they were before they knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's an exciting thing. You have true, true confession. The second one is true compassion. We read it again. Mark six thirty four. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When you have a dynamic faith, guess what? people move you to action. You will have a hard time looking at someone who has a need without trying to think of some way that you could help meet that need because you have a love of God first and foremost, and that love of God turns into a love of people. It's the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship. That's what God calls us to. And the last one is true conviction. As much as a dead faith is accompanied by a lack of conviction, a dynamic faith is covered by it. You see it everywhere. You see someone who knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, and you will not ever, ever change their mind that God is God, that Jesus Christ died on a cross for their sin, and nobody else could do that that Jesus Christ came back to life 3 days later paying the price for their sin and nobody can change that. It is a conviction that Jesus is who he said he is. He has done what he said he's done and he's going to do what he has promised to do. True conviction. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life and in my life. That's why it says in Romans chapter 8 verse 9 through 11 You, however, are not in the flesh, but in spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You're not a slave to the flesh anymore. It's Jesus Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that rules your life. And he goes on to say, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. If you have a relationship with God, if you have a dynamic faith, you will be moved to help others. You will be moved to put that faith into action. And it's not just helping others. It's following God wherever he wants you to go. It's doing whatever God wants you to do whenever he wants you to do it. It's a complete, total surrender to God's will for your life. And my question to you that I asked you at the beginning tonight is, which one of these faiths is yours? Stop and think about that for a second. If I asked you to write down on that piece of paper in front of you, I have a blank faith. Which one of those D's would yours be? What has God told you to do recently that you haven't done? Or what has God told you to do recently that you have? Have you even heard from God recently? Which one of these faiths describes you? Because I can promise you right now, every single one of us falls into one of these categories. Every single one of us. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're not done yet, but I want to I find something out because I want to pray for you. Nobody looking around. Everybody. I'd like everybody to respond to this. Dead faith is one finger. Dumb faith is two. And a dynamic faith is three. What's yours right now? Hold your number up. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's watching. One, two, three. Or three. Hold it up high so I can see it. Okay. Got a lot of honesty in this room and I thank you for that. What is stopping you from having the faith that God's calling you to? You can put your hands down. If you're a one, what is it that's holding you back? From moving to a number two or a number three? What is it? that's stopping you. If you've got the dumb faith that we talked about, what is God calling you to do that you're not doing? What area in your life is he working in and you're telling him, no, 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 God, I've got this covered. I got it taken care of. I love you, I feel you, but I'm not ready for that. What is that in your life tonight? And are you willing and ready to do something about it? Having a dynamic faith, guys, is hard because God's going to call you to do some hard things. He's going to call you to step out of your comfort zone, to talk to people you don't want to talk to, to go places you may not want to go. But I can promise you with everything in me that if you respond to him and you answer the call that he puts in your life to do even those tiniest, smallest things, he's going to be there with you. He's going to give you the words. He's going to give you the ability. He will see you through it if He calls you to it. What is holding you back tonight? If it's something you want us to pray for, you've got those green cards that were in your seat when you came in. Write it down on that card. I'll pray for you. If you want help taking that next step write that down on that card and put it in the basket in the back of the room. And we will help you take that next step. Because my prayer is for everybody in this group to have a dynamic faith. To be people that are willing to do whatever God wants, whenever, wherever. That are willing to go talk and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people so that they will know the love and the life that you found, that I found. And if you're here tonight and you don't have that relationship, you don't even have a dead faith. You don't have faith at all. But you want to. Come talk to me at the back of the room. God, we love you. God, you are incredible. (laughs) I thank you for the book of James, God. Thank you that you help us see how it is you want us to live out the faith that you allow us to have, that you call us to have in you. And God, I pray for every single person in this room, God. There were some ones, there were twos, there were threes, God. You know where every person in this room sits. You know what's going on in their life. You know where their faith is. God, my prayer is that we will love you and serve you with everything that we have. Not for our glory, but for yours. God, we love you. We thank you. As we start to sing, if you want to drop a card in the basket or come talk to myself or Miss Diana, go ahead and do that. Let's stand and sing. Amen.